Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. Today I want to preach to you a message uh, entitled The Abiding Reset. And I have a second title if you don't like that. I kind of like this title better, but it's not very spiritual. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. If you, if you want to, you can add wash your hands, you sicko. Okay, you can put that at the end. Um, but I want to read a story from Mark chapter 9. We've kind of discussed this as we're going in 2020 with the word for our church is abide. Remember last year we talked about uh, being available. In 2020 we're talking about abide. And so we said Jesus was always available, always moving at the pace of grace, never in a rush, never ran anywhere. But when he got somewhere, he was ready. And he was ready because he abided. And I can't think of any story that illustrates this better than in Mark chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 17. It says, A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy ex- boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. Uh, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him, disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer, and many translations say by prayer and fasting, okay? And so I want to kind of jump off this, this story this morning, but I need to ask you first, how many of you um, enjoy traffic jams? Anybody? No? Okay, just checking. We're all on the same page. I'm preaching to the right people this morning, because I know there's probably more people here who would say traffic jams will make me lose my Christianity real quick. Like, I, I'm, I'm lacking faith when I'm in the middle of traffic. Something happens to my heart. All these things start coming out, because, I mean, we could be like... Um, the Apostle John, who, who always has a positive twist on everything, and say, what a great opportunity for me to spend time with the Lord and pray, huh? Sitting here in traffic, stuck here on the freeway. This is amazing. But, but often, we don't do that. I don't know about how many of you, but I can be honest and say, I've thought at times about driving on the shoulder. Anybody else, you're looking, you look around, there's no police officers in sight. You think to yourself, Um, The Lord would probably maybe protect me if I went out and did this one thing because I'm running late to work. But I've seen people try this and get pulled over. Anybody have have you ever seen this? But you and so we're sitting here in a car who has all the power in the world, but it can't move. It, It doesn't matter how much power my car has, it cannot move. But then all of a sudden, if you're like me, you've seen a police car go flying by on the shoulder. No problem. Sometimes they're even escorting another car, maybe, I don't know, on the way to have a baby or on, on the way to the hospital, something important is going on, and this car is flying by you. Maybe you have a faster car than that car, but you're stuck and they're moving. You know why? Because there's a difference between power and authority. 
And this police car has the authority to drive on the shoulder if they like to. I, however, do not have that authority. And I think that we need to understand this difference because the disciples had power. They had cast out demons before. Jesus sent them out two by two and they came back and they were excited and they said, demons will run at your name and we can cast out demons. This is amazing. They had the power to do it, but something was different in this case. Um, they, they lacked the authority to do it for some reason. And I think it's important to understand in this generation, we have power. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. It's like we, we're that car sitting there with a hemi, but you can't move sometimes. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, but I think sometimes we, we lack authority. And Jesus said, the problem is not power because you've done this before. The problem is you did not gain the authority needed by abiding in me. By prayer and fasting, there's some authority that you gain over these spirits by spending time in abiding with God. Amen? Do me a favor. We didn't do this this morning. I forgot. Shake the person's hand next to you, will you? And then your other person, your least favorite person on the other side, you chose second, shake their hand too. Awesome, awesome. Did you know, did you know that they say globally four out of five people don't wash their hands after using the restroom? Four out of five people don't wash their hands after using the restroom. Isn't that insane? Anyways, that was a weird time to do the welcome. Wasn't that a strange choice? Here's the, here's the thing. Yes, that was planned, Pastor Josh. As a result, many people die of preventable diseases. Not you guys. You guys have the, the Lord in the place. He'll cover you. But they say that children younger than five, 6.6 .6 million every year don't reach their fifth birthday because they die of preventable diseases. The number two leading causes, number two leading diseases that will take children, young children's life that are completely preventable if we'd wash our hands are diarrhea and pneumonia, both treatable and preventable. They say if people would just wash their hands after using the restroom, diarrhea deaths in small children would be cut in half and respiratory infections would go down by a third just by washing your hands when you, when you leave the restroom. Isn't this encouraging this morning? Um, the problem is not that we do not have soap. That's not the problem. Soap is available. Soap has been around since 2800 BC, and 90% of all homes on the earth have at least one bar of soap in them. The problem is not the availability of soap. The, promise is, the problem is not the access to the soap. The problem is that we don't put into action the soap and use it. And, and this, is, this is important. It's, it's because what, what we do with what we have makes all the difference. And so we have these disciples who are unable to cast this demon out. It's not that the power is not available. It's some, there was something we need to see in the story that said that you do not have access to this power. Jesus had access to the power they did not have. They'd done it before, like we said. They said, we cast demons out. And Jesus said, don't brag about the fact that you cast demons out. Brag about the fact that you know me and you're known in heaven. And so he, he was basically saying, stay, don't, don't be prideful. Stay humble in your own eyes. Um, but the question is, why couldn't they do this? They, the only answer we can come up with from these scriptures is that they had not been praying and fasting. That there's something about praying and fasting. There's something about abiding in the Lord that gave them access, the authority to cast this demon out that they did not have otherwise. They were trying to access the power of God in their own strength. 
And so we see that they came up lacking because what abiding does is it fosters the habitation of the presence of God in your life. And last year, if you remember, we talked a lot about the difference between visitation and habitation. And a lot of times in church, we have many people who come to church and visit God on Sundays, but don't abide and have a habitation of the Holy Spirit throughout the week. And last year, we focused on this corporate um, habitation. We asked the Lord for 40 weeks. We prayed in this house every morning, every night, and said, Lord, come and inhabit this house and build a habitation for your presence here that when people walk in here, they know they're in the presence of the Lord. We did that for 40 weeks. And, but this year, I think the Lord is taking to us to a place where it goes from a corporate habitation to a personal habitation. That it's no longer about um, Jesus, come and fill this place, which we are still praying for. It's about Jesus, come and fill this place. Not just a visitation to come and see you on Sundays. Because we think that God's house is a building, but God's house is actually in you. Jesus changed that when he said, tear this temple down and I rebuild it in three days. He was not talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about his body. And he was saying the temple is no longer a place. It's in you. And so we, we have to understand that, that we want to build a habitation for the presence of God. And there's authority. You have the authority of God and of the Father when you build a habitation for him. How many of you know there's authority when the father's in the house? Did you, anybody grow up with a house like me that you didn't have timeout, you had knockout? Anybody else? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a thing, and there was something about the authority of the father. I'm telling you, my mom would invoke this authority all the time. She would say, wait till your father gets home. Do anybody else hear this? Because I got to tell you, my mom did not have that much power in her hand when she would spank me, you know? But there was an authority when she said, wait till the father gets in the house. And I knew what that meant. She now invoked not only her own power, but the power of my father that is going to be home. And in the same way, we need to understand that we can never receive the promises of God in our own power. It takes invoking the authority of Jesus Christ by abiding in his presence and saying, I want you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. This is a habitation for your presence so that now on Friday when someone comes to me and needs, needs a healing or needs prayer for something, the power of God is already abiding in me and the authority that came through abiding, not just, well, I haven't prayed since Sunday, but let's just see. And God does work that way sometimes. But Jesus wants us to learn through this story that there's some extra authority and power that comes only by prayer and fasting, only by abiding with God and spending time with him. The disciples are stuck. They, they couldn't help this child, not because the power was not available, not because they didn't have what they needed, but because they did not take advantage of their authority through abiding. And I think we might see this in our culture today. Maybe the disciples were like us and they treated abiding and they treated prayer like many treat soap for special occasions only and if we're honest this morning there's many of us that say things like well we've tried everything we could and we did everything we could now all we have to do is we just got to rely on God can I tell you prayer is not supposed to be your last resort it's supposed to be your first response that we're supposed to be abiding in the Lord that our very first response is prayer not our last resort that well all we got to hope on is God now that that should have been the very first thing I hoped on, uh, not in my own strength. So this morning I want to share with you three things that will happen that will happen in your life if you begin to abide. The first thing is it will slow you down. We're often caught saying things like, you know what, I want to pray, I just don't have time to pray. Can I tell you, when you have a day where you don't have time to pray, that's probably the day you need to pray more than any other day. 
there's something about prayer. There's something about getting down into a posture of prayer. You know what I'm not doing? Anything else except that. And sometimes we need that time throughout our day where I do nothing else. And I got to tell you, the result is the rest of my day will be different. You'll get a better Pastor Brent throughout the rest of the day because I started out in a posture of prayer and allowed the Holy Spirit room to speak to me and work through me. I put down this, this anxiety and, and, and this feeling of being spiritual dry and, and I find out that I've been hurrying and I need to slow down. When I slow down and take time with God, there's a better version of me to face all the things I need to. You know, I was listening to this uh, TED Talk. Do you guys know what that is? And they were talking about the use of paper towels in this, in this country alone. Did you know every year, 1.3 billion pounds, or I'm sorry, 13 billion pounds of paper towels get thrown out just in this country alone every year. And they were saying that the, the, the way we can help this is just, it's simple, just conserve paper towels. I don't know about you, but when I go into a restroom and I get like a section of that when I wave my hand in front of the paper towel and it's like that much, I wave my hand like three or four times. Anybody else that's like, that's not enough. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. And they said there's actually a strategy to do this. And, and so what they said is you get by the sink and you stand here and you get your soap and you put it on and you lather it up. You wash your hands. You turn off the water and you shake 12 times. You see how much time consuming this is though? How you just want to grab it and go. They said shake off your hands 12 times and then use a folded paper towel and you can do it with one and be dry. But there's something about an open paper towel that made it different. But the, if you take the time to fold the paper towel, shake your hands 12 times, it can actually do something. If, we, if we're smart with our paper towels, you know what happens? We use our resources more effectively and it makes the earth better. And in the same way of using paper towels makes the earth better, I need you to understand, using the resource of abiding makes you better. But it takes time. There's no shortcuts to it. I got another cool illustration this morning that I want to share with you. Maybe some of you have seen this before. I'm going to fill this up. Don't break. It broke. Dang it. I got it. It's fine, Jess. Let's try it. Mm. Yeah, it broke bad, Jess. Sorry. Is that full? <laughs> You've seen this illustration before. You guys sound confused. I can't do it. It's fine. What if I take the time and put some of these in around the rocks. Is there room? And, and then if I was to take the time and continue on and, and pour some of these little tiny rocks in, is there room? And I need you to understand something about this illustration. These big rocks are the most important things in your life. This jaw represents your life. And these big rocks are things like your family, your relationship with God, and your health. And these little rocks are things like your job and, and your car maintenance, and they're, they're important to you. They're your friends, they're your hobbies. And then you have these things, these little rocks are things like social media, um, TV and Netflix, different things like that. And it, I can probably fit all these in there, but you know what happens is oftentimes we fill our lives up and then we say, you know what, I need to make room for God. 
and it's already full of other things. And so if we're going to um, be as effective as we want, we actually have to prioritize um, and find ourselves. If you begin to use your time efficiently, you'll see a better version of yourself. But we're trying to fit God into something that's full of everything else. And in this, in this way, we often run out of space and say, I just don't have time to pray. Can I tell you, praying and abiding in Jesus is not one of these. And it's definitely not one of these. It's one of these. And you can't, you can't sacrifice this and say, you know, I just don't have room for this. This should have gone in first. You know why? Because you'll be more effective of a disciple. You'll be more effective as a spouse, as a father, as an employee. You'll be more effective in every area of your life because you started with the big rocks first. Oftentimes, you know what happens? Social media and everything else wants to take up, steal all of our time, and I have no room left for anything more important. And we think, I'm so busy. And we find ourselves tearing through life, trying to multitask all the time and saying, I got to send that email. I got to call that person. I got to binge watch that show on Netflix. I'm getting behind. I got to, um, I got to clean my house. I got to play Farmville, whatever it is. I don't know. Hopefully you guys don't still play that game. That's weird. It's random. Fill in the blanks. I can't do everything. But you know what happens is we have this thing called FOMO, this fear of missing out. That if I take time to do this thing, I'm going to miss something over here on Instagram or, or Facebook, or I'm going to miss something in life because I'm so busy with these things, I have no room for this thing. But we need to understand the importance of it. We find ourselves not being present anywhere because we're tr- all constantly trying to multitask. There's a preacher and an author named Ravi Zacharias. Many of you may have heard of him. He wrote this, this book, and in this book he talked about a time where he was on a trip in Russia and ministering, and, and they were running short on time, but his wife really wanted to visit this museum. And so they visited the museum because he's a good husband and, and he wanted to please his wife, but the entire time he's thinking, I gotta still meet with that person. We gotta catch our flight, we got things to do. And so he's pulling on his wife, come on, come on, come on. So they, they rushed through this museum, got it done. They went and had their meeting. They went back home time passed, he was, he was reading a book a couple years later by an author named Henry Nowen, and he t- this author talked about how he sought for his whole life to have a time and the resources to go to Russia, to go to this specific museum. And he thought, that's interesting, I went to that museum, and he said, in this museum is this painting of the prodigal son. And Ravi Zacharias is thinking as he's reading this author talk about that, and he's thinking, I saw that painting. And he says, when I finally got to Russia to to see this painting, he said he sat and stared at it for four hours. Henry Nouwen said this painting changed his life. And Ravi Zacharias said he never felt more foolish because he was in such a rush that he'd got nothing out of it because he viewed it in a hurry. And I wonder how often we try and approach our faith in a hurry and fit it into an already busy life. A.W. Tozer said this. He's a theologian, author, and preacher. Uh, He said, I have often wished that there was some way to bring modern Christians into a deeper spiritual life, painlessly by short, easy lessons, but such wishes are vain. No shortcut exists. May not the inadequacy of much of our spiritual experience be traced back to our habit of skipping through the corridors of the kingdom like little children through the marketplace, chattering about everything, but pausing to learn the true value of nothing. 
God has not bowed to our nervous haste, nor embraced the method of our machine age. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. The man who would know God must give time to him. I don't think anything can say it better than that except this other theologian who put it this way. If you end your training now, if you choose the quick and easy path as Vader did, you will become an agent of evil. Yoda. <laughs> I should have said it in Yoda voice. That was for Jess. Huge Star Wars fan. Um, you know what? We all need to be slowed down a little bit because what can happen is you blink an eye and this life is over and we missed all this time that we had to, to grow in our relationship with God and experience him before eternity. I want to slow down and seek God in my time here in this life. The second thing that abiding will do for you is it will tap you in. It will tap you in. It will slow you down and it will tap you in. I think we can all say that we all feel run down at times. And I can say in ministry, oftentimes I can feel run down. And, and what happens is there's, there's no other way around it, but often there's people that I minister to and people in this church that require more time of me than I have to offer. And I can run on empty. My only resource is to tap in to the power of the Holy Spirit to fill me up over and over so I have something to pour out. Often ministry, I know that the MO is that you only work on Sunday, but, but I'm still waiting for a day off and wondering what that looks like. You know, um, it's funny, I was joking around the other day because my reward for preaching a good sermon on Sunday is to write another one on Monday. And so, the, you, but I know you can apply this to your life, that sometimes it feels like a rat race of going through the same motions over and over. And if you do not have the help of abiding in the Holy Spirit, then you will, you'll find yourself empty. You need somewhere to tap in. Scripture says, we are weak, and when we're weak, he's strong. In my weaknesses, he is made strong. That's when I stop striving and I take time to abide. Because I have to learn to, in my own strength, I cannot mount up on wings like eagles. I cannot run and not grow weary. I cannot walk and not faint. I can do none of that unless I wait on the Lord. If I abide in the Lord and spend time with the Lord, there's no shortcut to it. There's like a Holy Spirit main line that you can receive power right to your heart. But it only comes through taking time and abiding every day. If you find yourself run down and out of energy, I would encourage you, if you do not stay connected to God, you will burn out. And oftentimes I see many people start their faith with a flame and they're running as fast as they can and quickly they burn out because they don't realize the same power and authority they tapped into in the beginning, they need to continually tap into to recharge their batteries and keep the fire going so they can continue to run. I can do anything if I'm full of the Spirit of God. That's why I love worship. I never get tired of worshiping him. You know why? Because I cannot worry and worship at the same time. Sometimes I feel dry and empty. I'll immediately go to a place of prayer and worship because I want to tap into the power of God in my life. And it doesn't come any other way. It doesn't come by whining uh, to my friends on the phone about all my problems. It doesn't come by getting on social media and complaining about the world. It doesn't come by any other way than literally looking to God, taking time and saying, God, I need to tap into your power. There's no other way to do it. The third thing it will do if you abide is it will show you God's heart. Many people neglect abiding and it shows in their heart for people. 
You cannot fake God's heart. If you're abiding in God, it will begin to show up in your horizontal relationships with others. Your vertical relationship with God should affect every relationship around you, and you cannot fake this. If you, if you get into intimacy with people, and all of a sudden um, you, you realize that show that they put on on Sundays was not reality, that's okay. We all have that, okay? We all have issues and dirt in our life. But what I'm saying is when you spend time in abiding with God, those things can begin to be worked out by God. And it only can happen through abiding. It doesn't happen through church uh, membership or attending church. It happens through abiding, and it can't be faked. You need to realize we live like never before in an orphaned generation. In a generation that's never known God, they've never known parents, they've never known love in the same way that many of the older generation grew up. And I have a choice whether I want to press into them and love them the way Jesus loves them, or I want to complain about that. And often I I find myself in places where I just don't understand um, how they act or how people are acting, but I have not walked in their shoes. And so I cannot judge the way that they react to situations. All I can do is ask for God's heart for them. And then I begin to reflect God's heart and I can see um, him use me to change people and change generations. But it takes tapping in and listening because God wants to show you his heart. I believe God has a heart for this generation that he wants to release through us that they haven't seen yet. Question, why is Jimmy Buffett famous? He's not a good singer. Can we be honest? He's not a good singer. No, he's not. You know how I know? They could find 10 other people to sing exactly the same songs and you'd be fine with it. You can't find a Celine Dion to sing Celine Dion songs except Celine Dion, right? Jimmy Buffett is not that talented of a singer. I'm not saying his songs aren't good. I think most people in here could probably sing Cheeseburger in Paradise, right? If we, if we played it, you probably could. But what I think the difference is, is that he had a sound that the generation, everybody had long hair and was rocking out in, generation, in that generation, and Jimmy Buffett was singing songs about vacation which was different. He came with his bare feet and and he sang these songs and he caught the heart of people because it was a different sound than had been released in other generations and even in his generation. And I think God wants to release different things um, culturally and he wants to release different creative things and release his heart towards us for a generation, but it only comes by abiding in him. But we get stuck in old ways. We don't want to reach another generation. We want to do things the way it's always done. And and the Bible can refer to this as wineskins. We get stuck in our old wineskins. This is the way you grow a church. This is the way we sing songs. This is the way I do this. And I got to tell you, sometimes God says, I cannot pour new wine into those old wineskins. And what we do is we try and patch up old ways of doing things that aren't really working anymore to reach people who don't know Jesus. We can come to church and have a social club and, and sing our favorite songs and, and, and do everything that we like. But if we want to reach people who do not know God, it takes actually hearing from God. I'm telling you, there's a model that we can build a church under that will pull people from other churches, but that, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is there are people who don't know God and you cannot reach them on your own. You have to pull from the heart of God and say, what do these people need and how can I reach them? And when you tap into that, you can reach people who've never been to church in their life because God has a plan because he knows their heart. He knows where they are. And so how can we ever fulfill the gospel and make disciples if we are not tapped in and hearing from God's heart? He wants to release a sound and release a word for this generation like they've never seen before. So it takes coming to Jesus and saying, I don't care what it looks like, God. I don't care what it sounds like. I want your heart. 
And I think that's what he's called us to as a church, is to say that we just want your heart. The disciples, they needed Jesus to show them how to tap into this power that was readily available. They needed Jesus to show them because abiding, it released God's heart. And what I mean by that is God wanted this boy free. We know that because Jesus set him free. So God wanted this boy free, yet the disciples could not do what God wanted. He, they could not fulfill the desire of God's house. It wasn't because the disciples' intentions weren't right. It wasn't because they were not in relationship with the Lord. They were just not accessing what was available. Jesus had to show them that God wanted it. They couldn't do it. Is that what we see in this generation? And my question for you this morning is, are you okay with that? Or will you tap into the authority that the disciples got taught by Jesus and say, I'm going to abide in God because I'm not okay with not being able to access what he's given to me. And I think it's so important as a church that we understand that it is not going to change a generation to do, to do these, these Sunday morning social groups and things. It takes a people who will come together and say, we're going to do this together. We're going to abide in God individually and corporately. There's going to be a fire like the city's never seen. And I think that's what God is calling us to. And the disciples had to learn this the hard way because God wanted this boy set free and they couldn't do it. And they were saying, what we've done this before, what worked before didn't work this time, Jesus. What's going on? Remember uh, months ago when we went out and we, we cast those demons out of them? Why can't we cast this demon out? And Jesus is saying, this is new wine, and you can't get this wine in old wineskins. There's a new wineskin. And Jesus is saying, it's abiding is the wineskin. The fourth thing it will do when you abide in, in Christ is it will clean you out. There's a cleansing that happens when you abide through the washing of the word, the, the Bible calls it. The priests, they had this tradition that they would wash their hands before they, before they went into the presence of God. And in Mark 7, there's an interesting discussion between Jesus and these priests because these priests come and they talk to Jesus and they say, Jesus, tell your disciples to wash their hands before they eat. I mean, yeah really Jesus is kind of gross. I mean, he could have just told them, but Jesus had to point something out to them. He actually tells them, my disciples will not follow your traditions because they had taken a command from God and they turned it into something of what man's traditions were. And they said, now you not only have to wash our hands before we enter the presence of God, you need to wash your hands before you eat. But it wasn't about washing their hands. It wasn't about germs. It was about trying to be good enough through man-made rituals. And so Jesus had to point this out to them. This was not an issue of germs at all. The Pharisees, what they did is they came to Jesus actually looking for a fault. And I got to tell you, in 2020, if you're looking for a fault, you will find it. If you're looking for a reason to be offended, you will find it. If you're looking for a reason to be mad, a reason to feel left out, you will find it. But if you're looking for the good in people, if you're looking for God in people, if you're looking for a reason to pray for people, you will find that. You will always find what you look for. And the Pharisees, they came and, and and they, they were looking for a reason to be offended at Jesus, and they found it. Jesus said, my disciples aren't going to do your traditions. Isaiah put it this way, my people, will, my people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's what God spoke to the prophet Isaiah. You see, washing their hands was never meant to be a religious thing on the outside. It was a picture of what God wanted to do on the inside. He wants to wash you clean. He wants to cleanse you. It was about washed hearts. This is what abiding is about. James 4, 8 says it this way. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does he mean by double-minded? He's saying wash your hands, 
purify your hearts, you double-minded. What he means is you're in on Sunday and you're out on Monday. You're double-minded. You're in whenever there's a church thing, but you're out when you're with your friends. You put your right foot in. You put, no, I'm not doing it. But you, you're double-minded. And James was, was warning them against this and, and saying, if you abide in Jesus every day, you can allow God to cleanse your heart. I've been growing familiar. Can I get the worship team to come up? I'm going to close here. I've been growing familiar with the president, James Garfield. I don't know how much you know about him, but he was one of the presidents of the United States. He, he was actually, he grew up so poor. He didn't have shoes at times in his childhood. He, grew, he was the last U.S. president to grow up in a log cabin. And he, he, wasn't, he wasn't that um, able to have the nice things. He didn't have a great education, but his parents saw something in him, and they knew that he was smart. And so they said, we need to figure out a way, and they found a way for James Garfield to go to college. James Garfield went to college, and he said when he began to study, it was as if a slumbering thunder awoke in him. Something awoke. I, I pray that you don't live your life and go and never find a passion. Something that awakens a slumbering thunder on the inside of you. So he, he never even wanted to be president of the United States. He never applied. He never threw his name in the hat for president of the United States. He was actually speaking at an event, and someone stood up and said, Garfield for president. And everyone started chanting, Garfield for president, and they nominated him. And he said, if I'm elected, I'll serve. I'll do it. But he never wanted to be president. In fact, he wrote in his journal, I don't know why anyone would ever desire this job. He went on to be elected. He he. He only served six months. I'm going to tell you why, but he never understood. He, it drained him. The, the White House at this time had open hours. That means anybody could come in at any time and make their case to the president. And he said, these people, they, they would take my flesh, my brains, and my blood if they were able to. He was only president for six months. Two of those, he was on his deathbed. After four months of being president, he was walking in a train station with Abraham Lincoln's son, and a man named Charles Gateau shot him twice in the back. It's interesting because Abraham Lincoln's son was present when his father was assassinated 20 years earlier, and exactly 20 years later, to the date, he was there when McKinley was assassinated. This man witnessed three out of the four presidential assassinations throughout our history. In fact, if, you ever, if you're a president and you see this guy around, just say, go away. Get away from me. Go. But, but he, Lincoln ran, and he, and he grabbed this, he grabbed this uh, doctor. His name was Dr. Bliss. This is the same man who tried to save Lincoln. He was like a celebrity doctor of sorts during the day. And Bliss, he, he thought at the time... Um, what, the first thing we need to do is we need to get this bullet out of you. And so at the site, Bliss stuck an unwashed finger into the wounds of James Garfield and tried to fish out the bullets. He, he eventually got back to the White House and laid in the bed, and Bliss every day would take his finger and stick them unwashed into the wounds of James Garfield and try and fish out the bullets. They brought in Alexander Graham Bell, who for this purpose invented a thing called the metal detector. And he brought it, and, and James Garfield would not let him use the metal detector on anywhere else. Uh, I'm sorry, 
Dr. Bliss would not let him use the metal detector on anywhere else except for James Garfield's right side by his liver because he swore that's where the bullet is. So he used, um, Alexander Graham Bell used the metal detector on the right side. He didn't find anything except for some interference because they later found out that he was on a, a bed with metal springs. He left and every day he would have um, Bliss's finger stuck into the bullet wounds. Bliss was wrong. The bullet was on the left side. It was later found out during the autopsy that the bullet was doing no harm, that he had a survivable gunshot wound. Do you know what killed James Garfield? Garfield would have likely survived if he let him alone, but Bliss did not leave him alone. Every day at the scene of the shooting of the wound, he tried to fish out the bullet for two months. James Garfield died of infection and blood poisoning introduced by Bliss into his body through unwashed hands. You know what? This was completely unnecessary because 16 years earlier, a man by the name of Dr. Lister, the name, the name Dr. Listerine is named after him. He actually theorized that infection is caused by germs. And if we will just wash our hands and keep a wound clean, then no infection will enter the wound. This was, this was debated at the time. This was 16 years after, though, and Bliss still took to the old medicine that said, you know what causes infection? He believed dirty air caused infection. You know what causes dirty air? Washing bandages and washing hands. And so his, his theory was the dirtier, the better. He never changed the sheets, his scrubs, or washed his hands one time in the two months he worked on James Garfield. The man who shot James Garfield was hung eventually, and at his hanging, he said this. He said, I may have shot the president, but his doctor killed him. And he was right. I want to go back to J or Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. I'm going to tie this all together. This is the day before Jesus died. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. He washed his hands of the death of Jesus and said, I'm not taking responsibility of this. James Garfield died because his doctor didn't wash his hands. The soap was available. He just didn't access it. Jesus died after Pilate washed his hands, and Pilate said, what is truth? Truth was available, but he refused to access it. The reason God sent Jesus to die was that so he could wash your hands. I need you to know this morning that being cleansed and empowered is available, but it's up to you to access it. Not through religious achievements, not through coming to church, not even through coming to community group. I think all of that is an amazing way to grow in your relationship with God. But if you don't get this personally and go home and abide in your relationship with God, you're doing it wrong. Titus 3.5 puts it this way. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I need you to know this morning, God wants to wash your heart. The soap is available. The power of God and the authority that he wants to give you is available, but it only comes by abiding. By saying, Jesus, I want you to come live in me, not just on Sunday, but on Monday. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just believe in this place, God. There's many of us coming from different places. 
in different seasons of our life, in different seasons of relationship with you. And those are here, God, that don't have a relationship with you, God, we're glad they're here, Father, but I pray that they wouldn't leave the same, Jesus. I pray that they would see this morning that you've given them the gift an opportunity, God, to have their sins washed clean, to have their lives and their hearts washed clean, that they no longer um, will struggle with the same things they walked in here struggling with, God. And also that you're going to begin to give them your heart. You're going to begin to teach them to abide. And there's going to be power and authority over sin, over sickness, over the, over the enemy and over demons, God. Every promise in your word, God, is accessible if we just learn how to use it. So we just press in this morning. I want to have every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, please, for a minute. I want to ask you if you're here this morning, and I believe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and saying that this, the soap is available. The answer is available, and, and God wants to wash you this morning. If you want to, ask Jesus to come and cleanse your life and cleanse your heart this morning. Will you raise up your hand where I can see it? Father, you see every hand, Lord Jesus. You know every heart, God. And I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to, to be the soap, God. Not that you would wash the outside, but that you would come in and cleanse our heart and purify our hearts. Lord, we repent of, of being in on Sunday and out on Monday and in on Tuesday and out on Wednesday. God, we don't want to be double-minded as James talked about anymore. So this morning, we press in, God, and we say we're going to put action to it, Lord Jesus. We want to know you. God, that's the prize of life is not to be happy or to find a fulfillment and success in man's eyes, but the prize of life is to know my creator as Solomon wrote about in Ecclesiastes. And this morning, God, we just submit to you, Lord. I pray that you come into every heart and do that cleansing that you promised, God. You saw every hand that was raised. I pray you would make them new, God, and release that soap that washes us from the inside out in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Will you stand up to your feet with me? I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up for a couple minutes. We're going to worship together. I just ask you to, to just not disturb anybody around you and just come to the Lord and just ask him to clean out those things in your life. But I'm looking forward this morning for some people that want to come up here. I'm not looking for uh, anything else than just to say if you're hungry and you want to see God do something that you've never seen in your life. Maybe you prayed about it for years, but he's, you've never seen the power and the promise that he promised you in his word. We want to press in with you. And it starts this morning. I want to ask you to come out of your seat and come up here. And we want to pray with you. We're looking for some hungry people this morning. Come on, let's worship him for a couple minutes before we leave.